This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. That's right. A new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And we have an action-packed show for you today. A lot to get to. Um, it has a little bit of a Pac-12 West Coast feel to it. Uh, we have with us none other than UCLA Bruins seniors Jordan Canada and Monique Billings, who will join the show to talk a little bit about how their season is going and, and some of their goals this year. Corey Close's group in the top 10 this week in our AP poll. Also joining the show, number two team in the Big Ten. That's right. The Michigan Wolverines are playing some outstanding basketball. They've won six games in a row. Kim barnes Rico, one of my favorite people on this entire earth, an amazing coach. Going back to her days at St. John's where she really made her mark, Kim barnes Rico will join the show to talk about Michigan. And to help kick off the show, we have Mary Murphy, who is going to help me through my clipboard and Give us the scoop on the Pac-12. One of the best, a treasure in the game of women's basketball, someone who has really been a part of bringing this sport to where it is with the media coverage as an analyst and just the overall excitement for our game. Please join me in welcoming women's basketball analyst Mary Murphy to the show. Welcome, Mary. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the channel. Absolutely. We love listening to you, whether it's Pac-12 or the L.A. Sparks or just all over women's basketball coverage. You've worked at the highest level of our game. So it is really a, a, a treat for Tarika and I to welcome you in. And we have a lot to talk about. We're going to discuss three games in particular. And to set us up for the Texas Baylor game from this past week, let's hear from the losing side. Actually, this time we're going to hear from Texas head coach Karen Aston. Yeah, I, I thought that Baylor came out with the kind of energy that I that I really expected. I expected them to try to punch us, and that's exactly what they did. Um, a little surprised, a lot surprised by our team's lack of, of composure and competitiveness in the first quarter in particular. Again, I expected the punch. Um, I expected them to be really passionate and um, energetic in the way that they played, and they were. Um, we led our offensive woes tonight. Inability to make shots early really dictate what we did on the defensive end. And, um, you know, it was just a little bit of an old-fashioned butt-kicking, to be honest with you. So that is, again, Karen Aston, the head coach of the Texas Longhorns. And the score of that game was a Baylor 81, Texas 56. Now, these are the two teams that are expected to buy for the Big 12 championship. So a little bit of a shocking score. But as Karen mentioned, Baylor just jumped out and really punched him in the face early. Um, when you look at the performances across the board, Lauren Cox had 17. Kalani Brown had 17. Christy Wallace had 27 points and seven rebounds. And I, I don't know about you, Mary. Christy Wallace, to me, first of all, she's one of my favorite players to watch. She's amazing. But she could ultimately be the key to this Baylor team's run because they're not that deep. Um, what were your thoughts when you saw this score and how this game shaped up? Well, so the game starts, and Coach Aston talked about that. So Texas, after the first quarter, you're down 10, right? So you think maybe you go in and you have an attitude adjustment, right? Texas comes out in the second quarter and scores nine points. 
Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing that. We see this in a lot of big games across the country. One super bad quarter can absolutely doom you because you spend the rest of the game trying to play catch up. Um, You know, getting out rebounded by 16, giving up 22 second chance points. Um, You know, you shoot the ball poorly. I mean, she was right on. It was an old fashioned butt kicking. Yeah, and, and when I say they don't have depth, I mean, they have, you know, Alexis Morris and obviously Dee Dee Richards. I mean, they have some pieces that come in and contribute, but not that have a lot of experience. You know, Juicy Landrum will come in as well. But I just thought it was amazing that they score 81 points and there's only three players in double figures. But I don't know very many teams in the country that can really compete with their front court. I've said all year, Lauren Cox and Kalani Brown um, are arguably the best front court in the nation. And I I am sticking by that. Now we're going to move on to another big matchup that happened. And that was one between South Carolina and Missouri. Um, And right now we are to kick that off. Going to hear a little bite from head coach Don Staley of the Gamecocks. Don, you talked about your team coming off that first matchup and all the emotion against Missouri. What did you like about the way your team responded to the adversity this time around, especially that scrum in the second quarter? I mean, we just played. We just played. We just played. We were prepared for whatever whatever we saw out there. And, you know, my players aren't going back down anymore. I mean, we're not. We're going to play with them what we're doing, but we got to protect ourselves. I mean, most importantly, it's, it's health. We, we got players on our team, you know, that are going to make millions of dollars. And we want to make sure that that occurs. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. Dawn, 21 points off 13 Missouri turnovers, and something that might not be statted is the way Ty Harris defended the point guard, Lauren Aldrich, for Missouri. What would you uh, say about your defense and how it might carry over for UConn coming in here on Tuesday, uh, Thursday? Uh, Ty's defense was, was, was key. I mean, she disrupted. I, I thought she... Um, she disrupted the flow of what they wanted to do. Um, I thought our kids really disrupted what they wanted to do, their initial options, their second options. And then we handled when, you know, when the play broke down and they just tried to, you know, drive and kick and get ahead of the possession. So, you know, hats off to my kids for um, hanging in right, hanging in tough, you know, in a, in a tough Missouri team. So this has become a matchup that fans look forward to because of the physical nature and just some of the scrappiness. Um, obviously, they alluded to the, the Beth Moens, I'm sorry, and Debbie Antonelli were, were with Dawn on that interview. But just some of the scrappiness, there was some ejections in that game. These two teams, when they come together, it's a fight. So ultimately, South Carolina did win 64 to, to 54. Um, and, and I thought the key was definitely Ty Harris. I mean, she had 19 points. She's become a very, she's become one of the best point guards in the country. And I think we've got to acknowledge that piece. But of course, you've got Asia Wilson, who's just a woman amongst girls but uh, Mary how do you've coached how do you handle emotion coaching through some of that in a game like this but also trying to make sure that your players stay focused on what's happening between the lines well I think it's really challenging and certainly when we look at this matchup it's been challenging at at both home sites and uh, I would I would hope as we roll forward in the future that things kind of get ironed out a little bit because uh, I'm not sure it's necessarily great for women's basketball. Um, but this was a game that was tied at halftime, and we talked about, you know, what one bad quarter can do. Missouri in that third comes out at halftime, scores nine points. And I think South Carolina focused all of their 
their mindset, their energy, and, and, and just the revenge factor. And they put it all on the defense and held this team to 54 points. And it, it was in that respect, the discipline on the defensive end is what carried the day. And that's, and that's yeah. getting through to your team and, and doing what you need to do. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think the 21 points off the turnovers really mm-hmm. um, was a significant number. As you mentioned, that nine points in the third quarter tells you that S- South Carolina stepped up their defense. I know that you followed Dawn throughout her career. Whatever the situation may be, anyone who knows Dawn Staley and her impact on the women's game and understands her character, where she's from, where she's been, and where she's going. Played for Debbie Ryan, graduated from UVA, a three-time Olympian. Carried the United States flag for the entire U.S. delegation at the 2004 Olympics. That tells you something. Won an NCAA championship, and she will be our United States Olympic coach. What Dawn Staley has built, who she is, speaks for itself. The circumstances, whatever went on, investigate it, assess it, recommend changes. But Dawn Staley, I think we all know who Dawn Staley is. Finally, and very quickly, um, Notre Dame's big win over Florida State. Uh, this was supposed to be a this was supposed to be like a ACC. You know, who's can Florida State contend for an ACC championship? This is a great team that Sue Samurai has. I'll stand behind that. But Notre Dame goes to Tallahassee and beats Florida State one hundred to sixty nine with seven healthy players. Mary, what are your thoughts on the job that that Muffet has done? Uh, after losing Lily Thompson, you know, doesn't have her All-American and Breonna Turner. I, I just thought this showing and putting 100 points up on Florida State was a statement. On the road, Muffet, coach of the year. Her staff is doing an amazing job. Resilient, hardworking. They don't get discouraged. They work the problem. Who do we have today? You know, what matchups can we take advantage of? Everyone counts the Irish out, and all they do is work harder, play better, play more together, good balance. Every day is a new hero. Everyone else, you know, stepping up. What do you need? What do you got? This team is special to watch. I saw them at Oregon State. They were down. They came back. They won. And you you can't count the Irish out. You can never count Muffet out. And cast your ballot now. She's the coach of the year. (laughs) I'm with you on that, Mary. I'll I'll tell you, the Fighting Irish really have earned their name this season. What a job by Muffet and her staff. true. And Mary... Great, great insight. Thank you so much for helping us through our clipboard. But you're going to hang with us because in a moment, we're going to talk Pac-12 basketball. First quarter, it's time to blow the whistle. We are blowing the whistle on the Pac-12 today. And you cover a lot of Pac-12. You're a West Coast girl. Um, It's interesting to look at this conference and what's happened over the past few years, but this season in particular is shaping up to be very interesting. UCLA was picked to win um, the Pac-12, so that kind of set the tone, but Oregon finds themselves atop of the conference right now. So let's talk about the Oregon Ducks. Obviously, we know the story of Sabrina Sabrina Ionescu, who is our triple-double record holder in women's college basketball. How good is this Oregon team, in your opinion? I think they're really good. Uh, I think their RPI as of today is is four. They're nine and one in conference, um, and they're only going to get better. Uh, they're they're still very young. Uh, they lost Lexi Bando to a, a foot injury. They expect her back before the end of the season, but 
They've got just outstanding players. Everyone remembers what they did in the NCAA tournament a year ago. They're a much improved team from that. They have a sensational freshman in Seitu Sabali uh, out of Germany, lefty six two, can play the three or the four, can put it on the you know, can put it on the floor, get to the rim, can knock down a three. I mean, she gives them a dimension they didn't have. But with Sabrina in the backcourt, along with Maite Cazorla, who won five, has won five gold medals playing for Spain, uh, Ruthie Hebert, one of the best field goal percentage shooters in the country, they are dynamic, they are fun. The fans are starting to, to come, you know, five, 6,000 a game at Matthew Knight Arena. It is a fun place to watch a game, and they've got a huge weekend coming up with Cal and Stanford. So it's uh, it's going to it's going to be an, another dynamic another dynamic weekend in the Pac-12. Yeah, so you mentioned Sabali, and I'll tell you, the first time I saw her play, I was like, oh my goodness, who is this, right? Unbelievable, her skill set at her size. You know, it it was that run last season that really got us all salivating and thinking about Oregon in this way. Obviously, they made it to the Elite Eight, ultimately lost to Connecticut with a shot to advance to the Final Four, which, hey... No one at all is faulting that, considering how good, right. um, you know, Connecticut is traditionally. But if if there was something that you think could possibly be the difference maker between Oregon winning this regular season crown and not, what would be any point of concern? Right now, I really don't have one, uh, except for the loss of Bando. Because what Lexi Bando does, I, I think she leads the country not in, in uh, active three-point shooting percentage. She mm-hmm. helps stretch the floor. So if Maite or Sabrina are coming down the floor, you really have to make a decision. Are you stopping transition? Are you stopping them? Or, or you know, if it's two-on-one or three-on-two, or, or do you go get Lexi? And she helps really stretch the floor. She runs like a, a track athlete. So she speeds the game up for Oregon. There'll be a better team when she returns. But right now, it opens up the floor for other players and other combinations. So you know how that works with China. This time of year with injuries, coaches really can explore their benches, see who comes up big. And then at, at tournament time, you, you kind of have, have more things that you can do. So it's a negative but a positive at the same time. Now, UCLA is an intriguing team as well. And actually, we will have Jordan Canada and Monique Billings on our show. So we're excited to make this a Pac-12 showing. But they've stumbled a little bit, um, surprisingly, I would say. And it's not, you know, nothing I would say would be a major concern. But I think, obviously, um, you know, the Oklahoma State loss, which Oklahoma has turned out to be a very good team. Um, The Stanford loss at at a point where, you know, we didn't necessarily know if Stanford would be as good of a team as, as they are right now but what are you seeing from UCLA I think they're a much improved team Jordan uh every single game is doing is is really special and Monique uh and you you've seen this uh, over the course of her career her range continues to extend her ability to score to not just rely on on her uh, athletic ability but really make sophisticated post moves evaluate where she is and, and what she needs to do they're a team that right now, when they're in trouble, it's, it's having that reliable three-point shooter. Same thing that Stanford's mm-hmm. missing. You, you know, when you, when you get the double, do you have someone to kick it out and is going to knock down 36, 38, 40% of the threes? And that's what they're searching for right now. But they play a fun style. They, uh, you, you know, we don't see a lot of teams, in, you know, the high echelon teams who press whether it's man-to-man or, you know, a whole bunch of different combinations of full court and three-quarter courts and trap and just 
completely rattle teams and, and force transition. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're exceptional in transition. But like a lot of fast-paced teams, can they score at, you know, at nitty-gritty time in the half court when they've got to execute? When you've got Jordan Canada, you've got a pretty good, a pretty good option, don't you? Yeah, and it's really hard in Pac-12 in particular because the suffocating defenses. I mean, I, I just mm-hmm. remember last year, I think of the Pac-12 championship, I don't know if Oregon State or, or Stanford got above 50. Um, I mean, right. the defenses right. in that league, the, the the coaches are outstanding in terms of their scouting ability. And starting there, you know, when you think about the great defensive teams in women's basketball, period, and programs that have that reputation, Stanford is, is at the top of that. And there have been some moments this year where we've said, uh-oh, like what what's going on with Stanford? You know, they had a, a loss to Western Illinois. But um, Tara has not minced her words in terms of just the, her willingness to let the youth play out on this team, um, right. you know, expecting more. Have they turned the corner now, finally, you think, and settled into what they'll be this year? You know, I don't think they've turned the corner. I think this, this entire season is going to be a journey for Stanford and for Tara. But despite everything you just said, their RPI is 27 and they're 8-2 yeah. in conference. And this yeah. weekend, you know, the loss to Western Illinois, Brittany McPhee did not play. She played the first three games and then sat for nine. Uh, Dijanae Carrington was out with a concussion. So those are, those are major losses for a team that had major losses of some very high-quality team, uh, high-quality players moving on. Um, their weekend is daunting. Friday, they'll yeah. be at Oregon State. There will be six to 7,000 people in Gill Coliseum, and they don't love anything more than watching, you know, their Beavers beat Stanford. And then Sunday on ESPN2, they go to Oregon. So we're going to know a lot more about Stanford and Cal and Oregon and Oregon State at the end of this weekend. And combined with China, when you put all four of these games together in the state of Oregon, they're, they're going to have a combined attendance at Gill and Matthew Knight Arena of probably 20,000 plus. They wow. will get five plus at each game. And right now, if you look across the country, the state of Oregon, no state is supporting women's basketball when you combine the top programs in that state better than Oregon is. They are alive and loving it, and they have got some special teams. Yeah, I'm making my first trip to Eugene this weekend, so I'm definitely looking oh forward to gosh. that. But I'm I'm waiting for the invitation to Corvallis because I've heard that it's a, such a special place. And let's be honest, did we think that Oregon State would be this good after losing Weiss? I mean, you tell me. No, we didn't. And it, they're a really fascinating team. A couple of weeks ago, their RPI was 88. They are looking at not going to the NCAA tournament. And they have turned that thing completely around. They have, you know, every week they're like jumping 10, 15 in the RPI. And a big reason for that is the, the development of Marie Gulich at 6'5", their senior post player, who this summer played with Sabali on, on the German national team. Her improvement, you know, no one across the country talks about Marie Gulich. Last year she shot 47 from the floor. This year she's shooting 65%. And wow. everybody knows she's getting the ball. I mean, she's playing – just in a game where we don't see a lot of low post players anymore, right? Everyone's facing in the basket or running the floor, shooting threes. She's kind of a throwback and she is having a sensational season. And when you talk about the best players in the Pac-12, Sabrina, Ruthie Hebert, you know, Monique Billings, Brittany McSee, uh, Jordan Canada, Marie Gulich is right in the conversation. She is that good. And Christina Igwe, yeah. of course. 
Of course, that's where I was headed next. So there's a group right there in that middle pack. Uh, Cal six and four, Arizona State six and four, and then USC, which may be a surprise mm-hmm. to some, um, especially, you know, under new leadership as five and five and Utah's five and five. That's out right. of that, out of that group, who do you see kind of rising to the occasion? Um, you know, in terms of Pac 12 conference play and placing for the tournament? I think you can advocate for, for all of them. I mean, when you have a Christine Inigwe and, and, uh, you know, Michaela Cowling and the, and, and the core group that, that, that they've got at Cal, you, you've got a really good team that has dynamic possibilities. But again, on the road against Oregon and Oregon State this weekend, we're going to know a lot more about these Bears by Monday morning. Uh, you talked about USD. Mark Track, they play seven, six, maybe seven people every game. He, he has just turned this thing around. They play hard. I think they're going to continue to get better. Nobody out here is surprised with what Mark Track has been able to do. Utah and Lynn Roberts, uh, one of the most improved teams in the conference, and you look at her team and you say, they're playing like a Lynn Roberts team. It's a program, you know, on the rise. And talk about surprises. I don't think anyone saw this coming for Arizona State. You lose your entire front line. You talk about Kelsey Moose and Quinn Dornstarter and Sophie Bruner, and there they are with this young backcourt, just being you up, you talk about Pac-12 defense for Charlie Turner Thorne. That's where it starts. And they just get out there and get after it in every single game, playing hard, six and four in conference, but an RPI of 29. And as we know, nobody in the NCAA tournament wants to play Arizona State. Uh, no one. I was there last nobody. year where they, they took South Carolina to the limits yep. in South Carolina. Yep. And, you know, I'm a big Riley Richardson fan. I think when she plays yeah. at her best, this team is, is really at their best. So, so much to be decided. Thank you so much for your time, Barry, and, and talking Pac-12 and talking women's basketball. we got to have you on the show more. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks, China. Thank you so much. Second quarter, player's perspective. Fans, it's the second quarter, and we are going inside the huddle with our West Coast representation. That's right. We're continuing the Pac-12 conversation that we've been having on our show. Please join me in welcoming from UCLA. That's right, guys. When I say we're going West Coast, we're going West Coast. Join me in welcoming Monique Billings and Jordan Canada to the show. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for having me. Hey. Yeah, so... (laughs) This has been a goal of ours to get you guys on the show because everyone is always talking about how fantastic you guys are and your program. And so we're like, listen, we got to we got to get them on. So right now, looking at your team and how things are shaping up, you're number nine team in the country. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, and really playing it. some playing some great basketball. Um, you guys have not lost a game since January 7th. So what's working right now in this stretch for for you guys and the success you're having? I just think that we're continuing to get better. I mean, every week that we look at film, there's always new areas that we can improve on, and that's the things that we try to get better at every week. And I think we're starting to finally, you know, understand what our team is, and that's defense intensity, and that's playing aggressive and just being able to keep that ball pressure up and just having fun. And I think that's what we're starting to, you know, lock into um, day in and day out. Yeah, that fun aspect is something that I think, 
people forget, right? Because you have these goals that you want to reach. Um, you guys were picked as, as the favorites to win the conference. So that's a major responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, as time goes on, sometimes you lose a game or things don't go the way you wanted to. And so it's like you have to regroup and remember the fun part of it. Um, Monique, I would ask you this. What have you maybe learned about your team in this stretch that you didn't know in the non-conference? I would say I've learned about my team that we stick together through tough situations. Like we've been through a lot mm-hmm. this year and we're, we've learned how to challenge each other and not always have that come from the coaches. And I feel like that's come from Jordan and I and Kelly, our other senior, a lot of just um, challenging ourselves and wanting to be the best that we can and pushing each other and that not always coming from our coaches. And I think that fight and that tenacity is what I've learned from my team in this season. So right now in Pac-12 standings, you guys are at eight and two. And I know individually, um, you know, we talk about how a, a team comes along, but you guys have also progressed throughout your individual careers to be two of the best players in the country. Um, Jordan, I will I will start with you. You know, you've been a four-year starter. You were Pac-12 freshman of the year. Um, you had 10 double-doubles last year, which that's something I, I did. I don't know that I realized. So you can put up numbers in, in, in just about any category. Um, you led the Pac-12 also last year in assists. How would you describe um, your game in terms of how it has evolved in in your time at UCLA? Uh, I just credit, you know, my coaches for putting me in positions to get better. And that's, you know, been watching film a lot with Coach Corey and seeing the areas that I can improve in um, on the court and ways to, you know, um, attack every possession and impact every possession on the defensive end and offensive end. So just learning from that and also my teammates, they've been putting me in great positions, setting good screens, being open, attacking the basket, um, allowing me to create for myself and for them. So um, credit to the coaches and my and my teammates. You know, without them, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Um, and just myself, just wanting to get better and looking at the numbers and the statistics of the past three years and just trying to improve um, every single season. And Monique, on your end of things, um, you are the third player, only the third in a very story program to score about 1,500 points and grab 1,000 rebounds. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest challenge in Pac-12 at your position? Because y'all have, <laughs> I'm thinking about Inigwe up the road at Cal, like, you know, just some of those post-presence. Like, what, what would you say is the biggest challenge in your position in, in Pac-12? The biggest challenge for me is just adjusting to playing different types of post players. So like you said, there's a lot of different post presence and you have to kind of switch up your game plan every single time. You can't bring the same defensive um, strategy for one person and use that on another. Like it's always changing and evolving. So I think that's kind of kept me on my toes though, because um, looking ahead, um, when I plan on playing professionally, I know that's how it'll be when I play professionally. So just um, trying to evolve and change the way that I play to match my opponents. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about you guys in terms of your professional endeavors. I, I want to talk about that. But you, both of you mentioned um, your coaching staff. And Corey Close is one of my favorites. Love her to death. I mean, I've actually visited your offices because Shannon Perry is like my sister. People say that we're twins. Um, yeah, and so when I've been, <laughs> so everybody says that. So when I visited, you know, I was just so happy to see the total person aspect of the program is, is intact the way it is. Like, because I know what Corey believes. She wants to have 
brilliant young women, not just great basketball players, but strong, confident women, um, you know, those that use their voices and you guys celebrating all parts of you. Um, each of you guys just speak on how important that part of your growth has meant to your college experience, not basketball, not academics, but just your growth as young women. Well, for me, um, I, I, this is one of the reasons why I came here is that Coach Corey is so intentional about um, building from the inside out of who you are, not just on the basketball court, um, but who you are off the court. And she has given me lots of opportunities to, you know, explore, you know, other hobbies and things that I enjoy. And because we know at the end of the day, basketball, the ball's going to go flat. And so you always have to think of something other than basketball, and she has put me in positions to do that, and that's one of the reasons why I came here, and not just Coach Corey, Coach Shannon, like you talked about um, her earlier, she's just been a major part of my development and growth of being a leader, not on the court, but off the court as well, so I mean, this that's the main reason why I came here, is just them wanting to, you know, um, grow me as a person and not just a basketball player. Awesome. Yeah, and I second that. That's um, another reason why I chose to come to UCLA as well. Just the opportunity of being in Los Angeles and networking and connections off the court. And I think that that's um, really played a big part in my college career, of just being able to to develop as a um, woman off the court. And I'm really thankful for the coaching staff allowing us to have those opportunities. Yeah, I love that aspect of your program. Now, I know you mentioned opportunities in L.A. I don't want to see y'all out at NBA All-Star now. You're still in season, so y'all no, need to we'll look. Don't... That, that weekend, so oh, I guess good. that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a very good thing. So my last question for each of you, um, the Pac-12 doesn't let up. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch this race from where we started. There's Oregon, there's Stanford, um, you know, Oregon State, probably better than people thought, Cal. Arizona State. Don't count out USC and Utah. So when you look at, you know, we talk so much about you guys, but you can't do it alone, alone, right? So you've got Burke and you've got Dean, um, Drummer, um, Hayes. What, who, what is going to make the difference, or who could be a difference maker in you guys ultimately winning a, a Pac-12 regular season championship? I would well, say it's just everyone stepping up every single night. It's as a team. It's a collective unit. It's going to be someone's someone news night every single night and it's just all of us showing up being ready to play and whoever's night it is just being able to feed the ball to that person and being able to produce yeah I agree with Mo I think what makes our team so special is the versatility that we have on in this team and is that everybody can play different positions and you never know what you're going to get um, every single night. And I think that's a good thing is that, you know, Michaela might have a great night one night, then it's Lodge, then it's Mo, and then guards, it's JP, it's myself, it's KB. And everybody has that versatility in them. And so we're able to play different positions. JP's able to play the one, I can play the two. It's just um, that's what makes us so tough uh, to play against. And we know that other teams as well, their their versatility as well is, is what um, – is what's so tough about this Pac-12 conference is that everybody is so different. But I think that's what makes us um, one of the best teams in this conference is us being able to be versatile. Now, my last question, because I lied when I said that was my last question. <laughs> you guys you guys have four losses on the season. You lost to UConn, Oklahoma State, Stanford, and Oregon. Didn't want to bring those up. But I want to ask each of you if there's one thing that you have learned from those losses 
that you have to do right moving forward or have to be aware of moving forward to uh, to reach your goals, what would that one thing be for each of you? You have to show up. You can't just think that you're going to play well automatically. You kind of have to show up. Not kind of. You do have to show up every single game, and you can't take any game for granted and come out and think that, um, everything's just going to work out okay. You really have to work and you have to fight for it. That's something that I've learned through our losses this season. I agree nice. with Mo. I will also just say coming out and, you know, setting the tone and punching first. I think those four games that we had those losses, we just didn't come out. We didn't play to our best of our ability. And I think that's why we had those lapses. And, you know, we did fight back and we've learned to, you know, overcome adversity. But I think us starting well and playing well and playing to our strengths is what's going to help us down the road. I love it. And down the road, uh, I know you go. You guys both want to play professionally. Who would you be in the WNBA? Name me one WNBA player that you think most uh, resembles your game. Oh. <laughs> Sine or Neka Gumake. I agree with that, Monique. You got you. Ah, yes, you. I've I've seen the way you attack the glass and athleticism. <laughs> See, Cheney used to be our co-host, but now she done got big time, right, Tarika? Ah, we don't, we don't, don't you put me don't, in that conflict of interest? <laughs> we don't see Cheney anymore. Big time she, too, y'all are big we, time too. So we, uh, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking okay, we was big time too. But I mean, okay. Right. <laughs> How about you, Jordan? Who would you be in the WNBA? Um, for me, I would probably have to go with Ivory Latta. I just love her game. I love her aggressiveness, her intensity that she brings um, every single night. Um, and that's somebody who I looked up to in college when she played for North Carolina. So I have to say Ivory Latta. I love that choice. Let me tell you this. I say this to this day. Ivory Latta was the most entertaining college player that I've ever watched like yes, from her I, I mean because you remember how like her eyes would get really big and she would yes. get the crowd all all excited and into the game like she just had this ridiculous energy and she's the same way in the WNBA like when you come to shoot around you're going to hear her voice the entire time she's laughing she's cutting jokes on somebody she's like <laughs> she's got so much bounce to her like I, I, I love that because that's not something that that everyone has it's kind of that intangible spirit um, that I think is great at the next level. So we will be looking forward to not only the rest of you guys' seasons, but the rest of your career. Good luck. Uh, thank you for joining us. And please give Coach Close and Sharon in, uh, Shannon in particular, but everyone, our best, if you will. Thank you so much, for, thank having you so us, much for having us. Really appreciate thank it. you, ladies. We appreciate it. Pac-12 love. Hey, basketball fans, stay right where you are because after this, we are going to talk to Michigan Wolverine head coach Kim Barnes-Rico about what's going so right for her team this season, especially in Big Ten play where it has been crazy. Also, keep in mind that we are now on Sirius XM Radio on Sundays. That's right, ESPNU Channel 84. You can catch Around the Rim, so if you don't download the podcast, know that you can listen to us on Sirius XM. But we do want you to download, and we also want you to comment and review and subscribe to Around the Rim. You can do that on the ESPN app under the Listen tab. You can also do it on Apple Podcasts. And keep in mind, if you want to interact with Tarika and I on social media, use the hashtag around the rim. Tarika is at she sports underscore. I am at LaChina Robinson. Stay right where you are for Kim Barnes Rico coming up next. Third quarter. Coach's Corner. 
Well, fans, we are dipping into Big Ten women's basketball once again this week, and we are excited to have on our show a team that is red hot, uh, doing big things this season, the number 16 team in the country. Uh, Michigan is striving, surviving, and uh, looking pretty good. And we're excited to have Kim Barnes-Arico, the head coach on our show. Welcome to the show, Coach. Uh, thank you, China. It's great to be here. Excited to talk about Big Ten basketball. Yeah, so let's just start with your team. Um, some of the big news in, in recent weeks, you lose to Ohio State, right? And uh was a was a tough one, you know, disappointing loss, close game, extra extra minutes, and then you turn around and play them about a week, a little more than a week later, and you beat Ohio State on their home court. Tell me what happened with your team between the loss and the win. Uh, that may have been a major shift in your season. Yeah, that Ohio State loss at home was devastating. Uh, we were up two with 40 seconds to go with the ball in the in the game. So we really felt like we let that one slide. We let that one slip away. But I think the, the biggest thing for us, the biggest takeaway, was after that game, it really gave us an opportunity to evaluate where we were and to try to get better, to work on all the things we struggled with, the end-of-the-game situations, late-game situations, decision-making, um, whose hands we wanted the ball in, who we wanted to take those shots. So we had spent a lot of time after that game really um, working on the little things and the things that would uh, make an impact moving forward. And we had a quick turnaround. I mean, we played them the first time on the 7th of January, and then we had to play the 10th, the 13th, and then them again on the 16th. So there was really no time to worry about it. It was, okay, how can we get better? How can we wake up the next day and really um, improve our team? And we had to play Indiana and Nebraska at Nebraska before we had a chance to go back to Ohio State. And uh, those were two tough games. And I think that's the thing about our league this season is that every contest has been a great game. And Nebraska, we went to Nebraska and 8,000 screaming fans, a much improved program over last year. Um, They only have two losses in our conference right now, so they're doing really well. And uh, it was a back-and-forth game. We were up most of the game. Then they went up, and we were fouled um, 0.7 seconds for a three, down three. And we had a freshman go to the free-throw line and make all three free-throws to send us to overtime and to win that game. So in between the first Ohio State game and the second Ohio State game, um, our two freshmen that are contributing this year had really, really big weeks for us. And Deja Church made those three free throws to um, help us win that game. And prior to that, Haley Brown was coming off of a great double-double, 23 points and uh, 11 rebounds in the Indiana game. And she was freshman of the week in a league and freshman of the week nationally. So I think the growth, it was a short period of time. But in that short period of time, our freshmen were really able to um, grow and improve. And one week later, we had an opportunity to go to Ohio State and just were connecting on all cylinders, and it was a great victory for our program. 
Yeah, I mean, to have freshmen, especially when, you know, you've got leadership, right? I mean, you've got Thome, obviously, uh, the all-time leading scorer in Michigan uh, basketball, and, and Caitlin Flaherty, um, Dunstan, but you needed those freshmen to kind of grow and come around for the extra contributions, especially considering the situations that they found themselves in in that game. You mentioned the Big Ten, and, you know, we hear so much about Maryland and Ohio State. You guys are right now second in the conference. But Nebraska, Rutgers, I mean, Purdue's even one big game. Michigan State, it's, it's such an unpredictable season. What do you think this trend is that we're, we're seeing now in the Big Ten? I think it's tremendous for our league. And our, and our league, you know, um, didn't get a lot of credit, obviously, last season. And that, that really hurt us with the NCAA tournament. Um, but this year, we had two teams down at the bottom last year in Nebraska and Rutgers. And Rutgers this season started with 11 straight wins, was ranked in the top 25, and Nebraska has to be one of the most improved teams in the country. Um, Minnesota, that's a team that hasn't been mentioned a lot either, and they're, I mean, they are kicking butt right now too. Uh, Michigan State is a tournament team. Purdue is a tournament team year in and year out. Indiana is another great program that had a tough stretch but then came back and, and was 10 of 11 from three-point range in the beginning of the, the game to really um, take a big lead on Michigan State. So I just think the balance and the improvement of our league has been tremendous. And I think nationally we are, we are starting to get the recognition that we deserve because the Ohio States, the Marylands of the world uh, in the preseason have gone out and really kicked butt. And now they're coming into the league and facing, you know, tough teams night in and night out and not winning um, every game like they had been accustomed to. So I think our league this year is deeper than it's ever been. I think there's tremendous players, tremendous scorers in our league. I mean, Caitlin Flaherty has been under the radar so much um, because we haven't gotten that national attention, but she's one of the greatest scorers in the game, and and hopefully this season with the kind of attention she's getting, people are watching her play because she's a pretty special player, but you can say that. I mean, I know Kelsey Mitchell has received that attention, but even Carly Wagner and, um, you know, uh, Indiana kid Tyra Buss, um, 2,000-point scorers, great scorers in our league as well. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right about Michigan State. I mean, the Maryland when Maryland went down, you know, that was kind of the signal to the league that it might be a new day, right? Yeah. Like that game in particular kind of signaled, and then you could you could even add to that Rutgers being back in the top twenty five at one point, Iowa, which I know they've you know been hit by injuries, but uh, just a, such it seems so deep in terms of the balance this year. Now you mentioned Caitlin Flaherty. Tell the a little bit about the pieces of this team um, that make it special and that have allowed you guys to, to make this push. Yeah, um, LaChina, you touched on it earlier with our experience and our leadership and our maturity. And obviously that's led by Jillian Dunstan, who um, is just like the Energizer Bunny, the enforcer, just a, a tough, hard-nosed team player, um, puts the team first in everything that she does. 
She's an awesome rebounder, a great passer, the best defender. Um, but she has that experience and she has that maturity, her and Caitlin. So to have that senior leadership from them um, where the team is first and they are on a mission um, to do something that's never been done before. And then Hallie Thome, who's arguably one of the best post players in the country, a 6'5", skilled kid um, who's having an outstanding year for us, a, a all-league selection for our team. And Nicole Munger, another junior who last year was a role player and now has really come on strong and been an impact for us um, late here in the season. But we have that experience. We have that maturity. And I think those four are are on a mission to prove something. And, you know, we were snubbed last year, finishing third in our league and not getting in the NCAA tournament, went on to win the WNIT, but they are still, they want to get to the NCAA tournament. They want to do something in the NCAA tournament. And they want to do it for that senior class last year that never had the opportunity. So they are focused. They are driven. Um, they're in the gym extra every single day. And they're having fun. They're loving it. They're enjoying it. I mean, the atmosphere, the culture, the chemistry has just been incredible. And it's led by those four. But really, our freshmen, um, they're continuing. And our sophomore, our freshman and our sophomore class is continuing to get better and better. And I think for me at the beginning of the season, I didn't know how this year was going to go. I knew we had some great returners, but those were just pieces. I think it was really important to see how our younger kids were able to adjust to, to college basketball and able to improve. And really, Deja Church and Haley Brown have done a tremendous job, but also Kayla Robbins and Ken Ray Johnson and some of our sophomore class as well. So it's a, it's a work in progress. It's a team that continues to improve, but a team that's on a mission and is really driven. Yeah, you know, it's amazing what that can do for a team. We've heard that story a couple times on our podcast about, hey, we didn't get to the NCAA tournament. You know, Virginia, for example, is a team in the ACC that, you know, felt like they they just fell short and now they're making a push. So we're seeing a lot of teams that, you know, felt like, hey, we should have been in there and, and are stepping up to prove it. Now, now, Kim, you and I were laughing earlier about, you know, the old days of the Big East, right? And so many people know you from your days at St. John's. I love that you still have your accent because um, that's that's such a big part of you and just your coaching style of who you are in New York. Yeah, that, that accent through and through. But, you know, your, your big win at UConn while you are at St. John's and everything you did with that team, um, just taking them to new heights, but, you know, it, it was time to then take on a different challenge. Um, how have you then been able to take Michigan to this space where you're on the brink of the NCAA tournament here this season, going from St. John's and, and, and implementing your, your style or even finding a new style? Because there are a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast, and I think it's hard to have this level of success at two schools Big East, Big Ten, um, but you, you, you've you done that. You've laid this kind of foundation. Talk about that transition and that process for you. Yeah, LaChina, those days back at St. John's, um, I was fortunate, you know, back, back in the day um, to take over the worst of the worst basketball programs in, in the history of women's basketball. That was an article that was printed before I became the head coach at St. John's. And I, and I kept that article and I hung it on the door and I, and I read it every day. And I think that was motivation. 
Um, and I was fortunate during that time to be in the best league in the country. And I was surrounded by tremendous coaches every night, whether that's Gino, Muffet, Vivian. I mean, you could go down the line, Harry Peretta. I mean, just tremendous coaches. And I was able to learn so much from them. Um, but the one thing, you know, I, I came to the University of Michigan to have an opportunity to be at one of the greatest universities in the world. And our basketball program had had some great seasons, but didn't have that consistency. And I remember, you know, back when I made my, we made our first NCAA tournament at St. John's and, and Gino had said to me, you know, it's easy to get there. It's hard to stay there. And LaChina, I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I felt like I worked my whole life to get there. Like, forget about trying to stay there. I'm just celebrating getting there. Um, but here I am 15 years later, 20 years later saying, oh my goodness, to be consistent year in and year out like the great ones have been um, is really, truly uh what it's all about. And if you can get to that level, it's truly incredible. And I've watched so many coaches be able to do it. And obviously that's a goal for any coach, but, but especially here at Michigan. And I think the the way that it's happened, and I was fortunate at St. John's and I've been fortunate here is to get players, just to get players that really believe in the vision and believe that they can come and they can make a difference and they can come and they can impact your team and be be part of creating something that has never been done before. And for me here, that's been a player like Caitlin Flaherty. And, you know, at, at St. John's, you know, it, it was a Kia Wright or a, an Angie Clark and and, uh, the, and and Adira McKenneth and a Shanika Smith, kids that said, hey, I want to go to St. John's and I really believe that I could do something that's never been done before. And that motivated them. Not, now, that's not for every kid. Some kids want to go to Connecticut or to Notre Dame, programs that have already been established and they can leave their mark there, but they're already part of something that's been created. I've been fortunate to coach players that say, hey, I want to create it. I believe enough in my game. I believe enough in myself. And, Coach, I believe in your vision, and I believe in the University of Michigan to come here and to be able to do something that's never been done before and to be the first to hang that banner, to hang that banner in in Chrysler Arena, to hang that banner at Carnesecker Hall, and, um, you know, at St. John's, my last year there, we beat Connecticut to break their 99-game win streak. And I went in the, one of my proudest moments as a coach. I walked in the locker room, and here's Deshina Stevens. Her sister now, Azaray, is playing at Connecticut. And she was a Connecticut kid. And she held her jersey up, and she said, Coach, here's to everyone that said if I went to St. John's, I would never do it. And, I mean, not just still, this is probably 10 years later, will bring a tear to my eye. But it's wow. the same feeling I get looking at Caitlin Flaherty and Jillian Dunstan and kids that were told, you know, you can go there, but you're never going to be able to have the experience that you will have at a top 10 program. Well, now they're on the brink of that. So for me, that that's what it's all about as a coach. And those are the greatest feelings in the world. Wow. You just gave me chills over here, coach. I'm over. I got my goosebumps happening over here. <laughs> that is just awesome. Well, 
I mean, you've been coach of the year in the Big East and the Big Ten three times all together. You took St. John's to their first ever Sweet 16. You mentioned that that win to break UConn's streak. Um, and you hold the, the record for most wins at St. John's and uh, now at Michigan. So no one is doubting you over here, Coach. You've done it, and uh, we're excited. And thank you for the way you've done it. You know, you've always been a class act. You do things the right way. You know, you're so much fun to, to cover, and your teams are always just young women that are, are not only great players but good people. So thank you for the way you've done it. And, uh, hey, we will be keeping our eyes on the Wolverines. Tarika's a Michigan State girl, so she might be hating a little bit. But, uh, it's a little bit over here. I was trying to keep cordial. Yeah, she's trying to, she's trying to, she's putting on her political face today, but she may be a Michigan fan after this podcast. Thank you so much, Kim. We appreciate your time. I hope to see you soon. Great to talk to you. Yes, I hope to as well. Good luck the rest of the way. Thank you. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, so we're going to go out of bounds in which we take a few moments to talk about something not directly related to women's basketball. And considering that Sunday is probably one of the biggest sports days in the world, I figured I would put LaChina on the spot, who, by the way, knows nothing about football, to ask her who she thinks going to win the Super Bowl, the Eagles oh my or the Patriots. Gosh. Do you know that my mom had to tell me that the Super Bowl was Sunday? Like, we're going to be we're gonna be in Oregon because I'm calling Oregon Stanford on Sunday, and my mom is coming with me because my little brother goes to school in Oregon. So um, long story short, she was like, so where are we watching the Super Bowl? And I was like, watching the what? <laughs> and she was like, the Super Bowl. I was like, oh, is that this weekend? So, yes, Rika is right. I don't know a lot about the Super Bowl. What I will say that I know and who I am rooting for, no doubt I'm going for the Philadelphia Eagles. And Yay. I'll tell you why. Number one is when you lose your quarterback and you can still make it to the Super Bowl, like, full out respect. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not easy to do. They have stuck with it, persevered through some toughness. The other reason why, the second reason and my final reason why I'm going to cheer for the Philadelphia Eagles is because I hate the Patriots. Let's say that. Let's say that together. I, I hate, hate the, Patriots. the Patriots. Yes, my entire family. I'm from. I was born in Boston. My mom grew up there, was born there. My father spent most of his adult life there. My grandmother right now is somewhere wrapped in a Patriots blanket. They love the Patriots, like my entire family. And I just can't, I can't stand them. I, I don't know what it is. Well, China, you sound like a person who knows a lot about football right now. Yay! <laughs> I'm glad this is on recording. Tell yes. me why, Tarika. Why yes. am I right? I am, I am also picking the Philadelphia Eagles, um, for two reasons. One, because I live with a Philadelphia native and my husband would probably kill me if I decided to go otherwise. And True. two, because I also have a strong dislike for the Patriots. I am a Colts fan. For those of you who may or may not know when it comes to football, don't ask me why I'm a Colts fan and, I, and I'm from Detroit. It's not relevant right now but (laughs) (laughs) point is though before we move to the division that we're in now we used to be in the AFC East which is the same division that the Patriots are in so they used to be my division rivals and then also through the late nine or the early 2000s and to the late uh 2000 era there was a strong rivalry between Tom Brady and Peyton Manning so I am also basically that person who's going to cheer for anyone who's not the Patriots that's that's, okay it's kind of how that rolls 
so we're on the same page then for once we are on the same page <laughs> yay well listen i i can't promise i'll be watching the super bowl but just know that wherever <laughs> i am i will be cheering for the eagles Tarika. awesome sauce well fans that's it that is around the rim this week make sure you check in with us next week we appreciate you joining the show and uh yeah keep in touch hashtag around the rim Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.